Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm, you say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Script Shop, our podcast about screenwriting. My name is Jack, and I've got a variety of uh, dreams that I've had recur in my time. Ooh. Every once in a while, I have a recurring sort of dream. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that happens to me occasionally as well. Mm-hmm. This is Allison, listeners, and yeah. I'm about to ask Jack about oh. his recurring dreams. Well, funny you should ask. Uh, I do have one, and this is going to be come to the surprise of no one. I have had recurring dreams where I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> and I can tell you this, too. I can tell you this. In, 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 in the deepest depths of REM sleep... Swinging around on that little thread is a ton of fun. Oh my gosh, I it's bet. It's great. I bet. And I would strongly recommend anybody to have a Spider-Man dream if they can. <laughs> if they can. Because uh, that's because it's great. Hi everybody, this is our podcast where we talk to screenwriters about their scripts. Well, the reason we're talking about dreams yes. and uh, that whole topic is because we have this beautiful script today called Dream Merchants by Amy Villamser. Um, it is an eight-page fanciful father-daughter Starfield adventure. Oh wow! It's it's like this dreamy. I it, I just think of purple and velvet and twinkling mm-hmm. stars and stuff throughout this whole thing. And so I'm really excited about talking about a lot of the texture within the script and kind of where the story goes and the ideas surrounding it because it feels very like almost philosophical or metaphorical in a lot of ways. And I got a bit of a, like, I don't know if classy is the right word, but just this vibe because there there isn't any dialogue in it. It's uh, just sort of telling this story visually and describing what's happening between this girl and her dad and this sort of dream world that they go into. And there's there's just this element of, like, artistic expression that uh, it feels very delicate and and, and pretty all at the same time. Yeah, it's different for us. And so I'm excited about talking to her about kind of what she was thinking as we went along it um if you have something like that listeners that you are kind of wanting to explore you could always send in your scripts to us on scriptshopshow.com slash submit we want to hear what kind of dreamscapes are playing out in your mind yes please and uh if you want to maybe uh just connect with us a little bit more for the show you can find a script shop show on twitter or on facebook or on instagram uh you can find us you can talk to us uh and react to maybe what you've been listening to and maybe ask for i don't know contact other people for inspiration we're 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 pretty much an open book as far as uh if you want to talk to us or not i like kind of pulling all of jack's skeletons out of the closet so yeah he's an open book because against I'm my will be that way i am desperate to keep that door locked <laughs> and somehow the skeletons keep slipping out uh, you can also get on patreon patreon.com you can do it with the patreon or patreon <laughs> patreon.com pretty much whoever's willing to take your credit card information we'd be fine with <laughs> and send us a couple reenies or roonies to support the show if you feel like it uh, also, please, if you are listening to us on iTunes, uh, you could leave a review if you don't want to maybe contact us directly and you want to. You're like, actually, let me passively leave this note yeah, to them. Uh, Jack is wonderful, but Allison I don't, is better. There that's, you go. What that's, I that's, that's exactly what I was writing. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> uh, so. 
Uh, I think we're good. I think we we should probably. I, there's we've got a bit of like a dreamy element quality it's to all, the, the start of this show right set. now. Yeah, yeah, it has been. yeah. Now, now we just got to talk that, that way. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Very Frank, how this, you doing? We've got Frank in the studio for this show today. <laughs> it's going to be great. You sound like the guys from that Parks and Rec episode where they're talking. It's like the two jazz guys. Now oh, we're going to have yeah, yeah, yeah. here on the show today. I can't do it. You did it so much better. <laughs> well, thanks. I've been working on this for a long time. Oh, it's, Jack, uh, do you work in radio or oh, something? Oh, well, I have a bit of a career in the audio field. Mm. Yes. <laughs> we need to get out of this nonsense right now and just get Amy on the phone because she's been waiting and she's waiting. A, oh, my it's, gosh. It's way late. Speaking for her. of dreamlike qualities yeah. of things, Amy, thank you for Let's not stop being, being jerks Thank now. you for not being asleep and talk to us instead. <sighs> Not at all, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Our pleasure. Um, so, you know, we were just talking about the fact that it's really, really late where you are. Would you mind telling us where you are currently living? Where are you at? Uh, currently, I'm living in Edinburgh in Aber- uh, in Scotland. Mm. And it's 1 a.m. at the moment. Oh and gosh. I think there's like gale force winds outside as well. So it's quite dramatic. Ooh. Oh, man. If one of us got murdered on the show that would be even because now i'm playing out this drama moment like if amy's listening and frank it's his moment and he decides that he can't take our nonsense anymore and he's like that's my show and he just murders us here in the studio yeah boy, she would hear that with the wind in the background it would be very ominous oh my god yeah right it would totally sound like a like a radio drama actually it would be quite well timed out <laughs> wow yeah okay i'm just i'm just reeling from the specificity of that weird daydream out of nowhere amy thank you for <laughs> staying up as late as you are and uh be, or waking up early and uh being willing to talk to us about your script uh as far as writing goes for you how do, how does writing fit into uh amy's day to day well it started off in my spare time and just being quite therapeutic I always liked writing and I used to want to write a novel when I was a child but I just didn't I couldn't fully commit to that so screenplays seemed to be the next best thing so I've been doing it for the last seven years nice did did you just kind of like one day say I'm gonna try and you just started writing a screenplay or is there something else that kind of led you down this path uh, there was a module in university like a long, long time ago, and that's when I got my first taste of it. And I was like, oh, I, I can't draw for shit, but I can actually write yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. So it was a good way of just having that creative outlet and just like discovering what I was capable of doing through like writing and through words. And when you were going to, to university, was it for specifically for writing reasons or was that just sort of a, an ancillary thing for you? It wasn't for writing reasons. I originally uh, did like visual media and uh, graphic design. And this was just like an additional module. It was a very strange mix of things that we had to do at university. But it was the one thing I think I just responded to the most. Did you end up changing your program at all or did you keep on with that program and just kind of developing writing in your free time as well? Uh, I stuck on with the program and I, I just kept writing on the side and started doing some film production, like taught myself a bit about film. And I was like, oh, OK, so this is more what I want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you gr- like you graduate and you're just like, well, 
I'm not going to use that degree. <laughs> <laughs> but has so that's an interesting question though. So you you did learn a lot about graphic design and various elements of visual artistry and and, and communicating visually. How has have there been elements and things that you learned in that course of study that have come in handy when you were writing scripts? Because certainly the script you sent us, Dream Merchants, there is we were I mean we were talking about it in the intro to the show. There's a there's an ethereal sort of quality to it that I, I do you, did that maybe come from uh, your formal schooling? I, I would definitely say it was possible. I think between that and just um, as a child, just reading a lot of fantasy books and for the escapism and like the world building, I just mm. probably combined the two and the chance of like being able to express myself in a fantasy genre was just like the thing I've always wanted to do. Do a lot of your scripts read like this as well? Uh, the first few definitely did not favor dialogue. I think I was scared of dialogue for a long time, but it's uh, it's developed. I like to keep surreal and fantastical elements mm-hmm. in my like more recent work, but uh, I think I don't have anything that quite compares to Dream Merchants, to be honest. <laughs> okay. I mean, there are sort of benefits and challenges to writing a silent story uh you know you're it, it's more in, in a lot of ways it would if this would to be produced it would be more on the people in front of the camera to tell the story but it's also they have to have something to draw from in terms of the way that you're describing these environments and and their movements and stuff uh because you maybe you said you were afraid of dialogue in the beginning did you was it easier for you to maybe write something that was dialogue free yes uh, i'm quite a visual person i would say and i always feel that developing a scene and getting the action and the visuals down first and then coming back to it and then seeing where necessary dialogue would really come into play has just like came more naturally to me in more recent years. Okay. So this story that we're talking about today, Dream Merchants, there's a really strong father-daughter through line. And I just wanted to ask where that comes from for you. I would say... (sighs) The father-daughter relationship is something that uh, I think in the past I've kind of struggled with my uh, Dutch heritage, which is where the crazy last name Willemser comes from. And uh, growing up in Scotland and people seeing that name as being something quite funny, it always kind of made me feel like quite not ashamed of my heritage, but, you know, like reluctant to really draw on it. Sure. Okay. So I think this, I think Dream Merchants really addresses sort of like the father-daughter relationship and just sort of like how it can come together because I would say that my main character just feels like a total outcast from everything. And uh, I just wanted to draw on those themes. Okay, so but uh, specifically as far as this script goes, you've got this this girl and her father who at one point are confronted with a very sinister, shadowy man. I believe he's called the Shadow Man in the script. Is that I, I don't I don't want to try to draw such a direct one to one, but I mean, is this sort of shadowy threat sort of representative of these these feelings of maybe feeling uh, different or 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 left out based on the heritage that we were talking about? Yeah, I would say that there are definitely elements of that. Uh, 
this uh, fret sort of because it takes such a masculine shape as well it could sort of be like the fear of like having not really connected with her father in the past and sort of like trying to get to terms to it so this monster is kind of like I guess uh, blocks her from her heritage but at the same time she has to confront it to finally feel like she's properly a part of her traveler family Mm -hmm. and just for listeners i want to provide a little bit of context which is that in the beginning of the story we have a family in a market in a marketplace um you know doing their old little marketing things selling their wares selling their wares eventually we end up having the father and the daughter traveling through the woods and they end up getting into basically uh, a star field, mm-hmm. a field that's full of stars and they're collecting stars. So the father and the daughter are going about, she's kind of, it's almost, it's almost coming of age because you can see that she's, her do- her father is teaching her about collecting stars and this big shadowy figure comes out and is pursuing them. She's getting, she's tripping up a little bit. The shadowy figure is going after her. The father saves her. She saves the father, etc. Mm-hmm. And they end up kind of coming full circle having had this big experience together so when we're talking about the shadowy figure keeping her from her heritage it's directly that we have this grim reaper type guy swooping in this darkness that extinguishes stars coming after her and coming after her father for different ways now amy in 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 the story itself you know this the practical nature of this shadow man what is it that he wants I always saw him as sort of just like the like a custodian, like a guardian of the stars. Like he can't have them, so no one else can. Mm. So he sort of just like he lurks between the real world and like the fantasy world. He's like exists in the shadows, well, quite literally. And so like the fact that these people are coming and are taking like the sh- stars away from him, like. He's very protective of it, and they've just become prey to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the idea of this, like almost quite literally, hiding light under a bushel in 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 almost a biblical sense, and the way this this sort of darkness that that's extinguishing everything until the the Selena character is able to, I, I feel like it was she was drawing on strength from within herself and wanting to maybe let her light shine. Is that is that maybe the right uh, path that you were going on with that? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I think it was just sort of like how that sort of fear of the unknown, very primal, can like plunge us into the darkness and sort of like finding the light at the end of the tunnel to like escape that is very hard. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to draw on like very inner strength to get to that point. And I think there's an interesting dichotomy with this with this threat that in again tying it back into sort of what you mentioned before because before they head out before Selena and her father head out on this walk there's at one point where she sees like some girls across the way that sort of they're not she's maybe not sure if they're laughing at her or not which I think plays into the themes of maybe feeling left out but then this also the way that this sort of shadowy figure may also play up feelings of almost maybe shame for feeling different, right? There's, there's the two ends of it. There's, there's feeling left out and then feeling bad that you feel bad. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, she, all she wants to do is be normal. Like she doesn't understand 
her family's um, lifestyle because they're traveling from town to get town to town and they're basically outcasts. So the fact that people are obviously like very like hostile or like you know making fun of her makes her feel ashamed. But then if you're ashamed of like where you come from, that just creates more shame and it just turns into a spiral. Yeah. Did your family move a lot when you were young? Actually, no, we stayed in one place, but um, I've seen how a lot of people react to sort of travellers and that kind of culture in uh, the UK, and it's very hostile, and it sort of just goes to show that there's still a lot of um, like prejudice that's based in our society. So I think that's where I kind of drew the inspiration from. Mm-hmm. And then especially talking about feeling like an outsider yourself, is it, and you know, this is just my ignorance about not coming from the position that you grew up in, but you know, your last name being so different, even though you were somebody who grew up and lived in that one place, is the culture such that that kind of difference really stands out? I think it's just the way that school kids can be. Uh-huh. But uh, if you just show that if there's something different about you, then I think people can latch on that as a easy target, especially school kids. Mm-hmm. And so they're bonded or united and against someone who's just different. So it's just easier to face that and like pick on them than, you know, maybe dealing with their own stuff. Right. It It just really sticks with me how you know, as a child, maybe some some unfairness from other children has stuck with you, too, because that's something I can definitely relate to. Yeah. And I like that, you know, that was something that might have happened as a young person. And then as as an as a more mature woman, you've been able to, like, turn that into a story that represents some of that hardship, because, of course, storytelling is how lots of times people connect and communicate. And I and I can connect to that thought and to these characters that are being based out of that feeling. Yep. That's always kind of what I wanted Dream Merchants to do. I wanted it to be like a fairy tale for the modern day, but I wanted it to sort of address real feelings that modern people and teenagers might have at the moment, because I think it's just like discrimination and stuff like that will just never really fully be taken out of the equation in our society. So if I could give people a fantastical escape from that and also make them feel that they're not alone, I just thought that would be the perfect thing for dream merchants to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's sort of the the, the real sad tragedy of, 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 of being a unique human, right? We've got all these various traits, whether it's, whether you're talking, you know, culturally heritage where you're coming from or physical traits of, you know, hair color, skin color, whatever. And, and it, it's, you talk about how kids can just like find that one thing that makes you different and latches on and they, they can latch onto it and use it against you. But then like it doesn't, years later, you can realize that that's like, your thing and, mm-hmm. and the idea of like being made to feel bad about it early on. If you can just read this script and tough it out and get to the other side of it, that's that that's your that's your whole strength. That's your special that's, thing. That's your light. That's the stars that you collected out of yeah. the field. Yeah, that's um, yeah. I would say that's definitely what I've always kind of wanted to get across, especially to the next generation of kids who are going through that. So if I could just have something that resonated with them them, and sort of 
just make them realize that they could find that light. It would just be the most fantastic thing I could do as a writer. I, I think this is a good time for us to read a little bit from the script. Sure. Um, so, Amy, we're going to quiet your mic down for a little bit. Um, and, and listeners, I think this is a beautiful time to read this because we talk about Amy's fantastical elements in the story. And yeah. as we read to you um, kind of the the stage descriptions as it is, you'll, you'll hear what we're talking about. So today, if you're following along, we're going to be reading um, from page three, scene seven. It starts with exterior, the Starfields night. And there's no dialogue in, in this script or in the selection so this is just going to be read by me today and you guys won't have to hear from jack or frank you're welcome <laughs> speaking just purely about me in fact that's not a that's not a shot or anything that was I, i'm amy uh we'll be right back with you <laughs> great hang on you guys know i'm teasing right absolutely you, okay, frank good. doesn't but i do you, you tell me when it goes too far but i didn't think that was crossing a line you're at all. fine <laughs> all right so Whenever you're ready. Exterior. The Starfields. Night. Deacons stopped again, looking about cautiously about the darkness as Selina catches up. There is nothing, but still his guard is up as he walks out into the field, his lantern, a lonely light against the enveloping darkness. Selina looks around confused and crosses her foot over an invisible boundary, when suddenly many little lights flicker to life, and start glowing in the grass. Stooping down to pick up one, Selina examines it closely. A fallen star. Delighted, Selina impulsively starts to run off into the field when an abrupt cuff breaks her trance. Turning around, she's faced with her father's stern face, glaring down at her while she stares back up with pleading eyes. Deacon caves. His expression softens slightly as he reluctantly nods his permission. A spark of glee crosses her face as she darts off to the nearest star. She grabs it up, and giggling, she runs to the next one. Even Deacon smiles at the sight of her joy, but suddenly he grips his shoulder as that old pain flares up again. Deacon's smile fades as he looks cautiously about the darkness before starting his own harvest. In her excitement, Selina is running around and picking up stars here and there while her father is working steadily behind her. But she's starting to get more careless the deeper she goes into the field, further away from her father. She stoops down to grab another one, but suddenly finds a pair of feet beside the star. Selina sharply looks up. There is a dark, hooded person. Shadow Man is standing over her. His sudden presence is dark and menacing. Frightened, she starts to slowly back away. Her feet keep tripping over the uneven ground, but she never takes her eyes off him. This creepy creature starts to follow her. She tries desperately to stay calm, but her hands are trembling. One wrong footing and she falls down to the hard ground. Some stars spill out to the ground, scattering between her and the shadow man. The daughter watches in fear as one by one, the closest fallen stars to the shadow man start to spark and fizz before dying out with every step. He's getting closer. Selena's frozen in terror as the darkness presses closer around her. Calculatingly, the shadow man picks up a dead star with his long, dust-stained fingers. With a menacing gesture, he crushes it and blows the black dust in her face. Beat. She's still paralyzed with fear as those blackened, twisted fingers reach out toward her, threatening to pull her into darkness. He is mere inches away. 
And suddenly, her father appears out of the darkness. Something glows brightly in his hand, and he throws it forcefully down to the ground. An intense, blinding light explodes out of the star. Rearing back in pain from the light, the shadow man vanishes back into the dark. Wasting no time, Deacon stoops down to haul up his dazed daughter to her feet, and still clutching her harvest bag, they escape. And scene. And scene. And scene. Amy, that's there, there's so much uh, relationship uh, stuff in in the overall selection, but in that moment, the idea of you know dad stepping in, letting dad's letting his girl go off into this field. He knows that there's a little bit of maybe some dicey elements, but you know what? Go ahead, have fun, and then things turn, and dad is able to swoop in right there and and be there for her when she needs him. I think that taps into such a primal sort of desire among, but um, in relationships like that. I think it uh, it really is the first time that she's probably witnessed it, like or been aware of him coming to her aid, and so it sort of takes her by surprise that he's just managed to materialize out of the darkness and save her from like from danger. So it's probably for her the first time that she's gotten to see this side of her dad as mm-hmm. well. I love that perspective because for me. What I think of is, you know, it's the first time that she sees her father swooping in to save her. Yeah. But he's probably had his eyes on her the whole time. Yeah. A similar way that baby Olive is crawling up the steps now. Oh, yes. And today she missteps with her little footy pajamas and goes, sloop and slips. And I'm just, and I catch her, yeah. you know, and she's crying because it scared her. But I was there the whole time. Yeah. You know, and the same thing with this father. He was watching her. He knew what she was getting into and he was letting her go figure it out on her own anyway yeah i feel like it's uh he's always got her eye on her but she manages to like get a bit further away you know just sort of sneak away Mm -hmm. she's like entranced and she's like she's been lured in by the beauty of the stars and so like she's like finally feeling a bit of freedom and uh the fact that uh it she quickly learns why he's so cautious mm-hmm. yeah and reality just sort of catches up and maybe she thinks he's not being so overprotective for like no reason there's there's a reason that he's done this and there's danger out here yeah, and it's sort of like this coming of age thing that shadow man is no joke. <laughs> no, he's, not, he's such a jerk, too, because he busts up the star and then he blows the dust in the little girl's face. Yeah. It's a real jerk move. <laughs> yeah. That shadow man's a real jerk. He's a real crumb bum. I don't mind saying a it. crumb bum, That's Jack right. Crumley. That's hilarious. <laughs> so there was, a, there was a part, Amy, in the script that uh, we didn't get into, but it was in the scene that Allison read. Part of the part of the whole impetus for Deacon and Selena in even leaving the market in the first place and sort of going on this walk into this dream world is that Deacon, the dad, is having some sort of physical illness, ailment, sickness. And I was just hoping you could maybe expound a little bit on what that kind of represents in the story for you. Well, the cause of it, it's sort of a, it's an old wound that he's had from tackling and facing the shadow man in his past and it's something that it's just like it's slowly poisoned him and it's worn him down and he needs those stars it's not just about selling them along with uh, their wares he needs it to like continue to be fine so the fact that they've ran out of stars 
his life is kind of on the line and it's the driving force. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he's too injured to go by himself. So he's got to bring Selena Mm -hmm. with him. And I think it's just sort of the passing of the beak of the of the torch sort of like you don't want your child to have to go out into the big bad world and do dangerous things or like face any kind of troubles but at some point they're going to have to Mm -hmm. and it's sort of that realization that he comes to and he's like I've got to take her out into the unknown now while I can still protect her and get her to understand the position that we're in Mm-hmm. This whole, they've run out of stars thing. So this isn't something that they kind of do on the regular. It's like they had a star harvest back in, star harvest. Ooh. When you say that really fast, that's hard. Or starvest, if star- you will. Starvest. Starvest. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're starving now. <laughs> and it's too on the nose, right? Okay, okay. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> so, you know, we talk, the mother, when she's in the stall in the beginning, she's reaching into the sack and the nothing that she pulls out, that's representative of the fact that they're out of these stars now and they need them. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, yeah, they need them. Man. So again, in the idea that this isn't something they do regularly, this is a super special occasion and this is the first time Selena's been out on the harvest? Yeah, she actually, she had no real idea this is what's they did probably because it was so long ago that their dad, her dad had to go and get a harvest. Mm -hmm. So like it's completely new to her. She's been kept sheltered from it so much that she's literally just transported to secret world that she's never known anything about. And the whole, you know, the idea of them being dream merchants and going after stars, what's the tie in between, between those two things and, you know, is, is the idea that the stars are representative of people's dreams in the the family as merchants are, are selling those? Or can you just expound on that a little bit for me? Because they're so outlandish and they're selling such oddities and wonderful wares, like I imagine that um, it's kind of just them peddling dreams to people. Mm-hmm. But I always like to think that... Um, the stars were used to make something like dream dust to help people get a better night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And the the relation between the shadow man is he's kind of like boogeyman, sandman. So instead of like good dreams, he would be able to plummet people into nightmares. Yeah. So they've kind of, yeah, they've kind of got to get the stars before he does so that he, they can, profit by selling sweet dreams to people yeah and i think am i reading too much into it by sort of seeing a metaphor of this the, the a light versus darkness in an internal way also where if you've got you've got this light in you and you you're also you know we're we're human beings we've we're full of shades of gray the idea of maybe mm-hmm. w- the struggle between light and darkness within oneself and wanting to focus on the positive aspects of your of your of your personality and bringing that forth versus having versus being dragged down by your own darkness your own shadow man yeah i think it's totally about trying to find the positivity when especially when you're growing up like things can get very negative and and happens to most people so it's just like that reaffirming that there's hope and that there's something good and positive like even deep down that you can find within yourself I think it's just very powerful message yeah I think so too I love the just you know 
thinking about it in terms of a film. Mm-hmm. You know, this field of stars just completely captures my fancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love like <laughs> thinking about what that picture would be. Did you ever build like a a, a storyboard or you know you you mentioned earlier that you cannot draw. And I don't know if that's true or not, but have you ever like visually put together what this world looks like? I uh, yes, I have. I've uh, I've compiled sort of like uh, mood boards, and like I've even got some concept art that's been made up as well because we're just we're trying so hard to like actually make this script a reality and get some funding for it. So. I've uh, I've been working with a couple of artists who have just perfectly like visualized this for me and I just I love that concept art so much. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's such a beautiful visual thing with like a field of stars that mm. is just like it's just so, so fun to try and encapsulate and visualize. Do you see this as something if, you know, now that you're working on concept art and looking on raising funding to produce this work, do you see this as something where you would have a physical man and child and woman with a shadowy guy and then, you know, effects around it? Or do you see it more as a an animated tale? I've always seen it as a live action. Mm-hmm. I've um, I direct as well. So it's like something that I've always like since I've written the first draft, I've always wanted to make and I've always wanted to do it live action because I feel like there's not a lot of fantasy based short films. And I just it's something I've always wanted to do. You know, we talked a bit about how you were saying in your earlier writing, you wouldn't put dialogue in. And is that was is this an earlier piece for you? I wrote the first draft five years ago. Mm hmm. And it's uh, it's gone through a bit of development since, but uh, it was one of my earlier scripts actually. Is there is there like the is it the personal sort of connection and the the hopefulness of the story that has made you stay you know stay with it and and work on it and and keep uh, keep developing it? Yeah, I would say it's the personal side and just the fact that uh, fantasy really did play such um, a big part in my growing up and the escapism of it so I've always been drawn to the fantastical and so it's a story that I've I just really I I couldn't dream not making it to be honest Mm -hmm. so it's something I've just I've always stuck with it and I've always came back to it and I'm at the point where I'm just like I really just I want to see if I can get this made Mm mm-hmm well, and you have something you're saying too. It's you know that one of the, we've talked about this on the show previously. How when you're doing sort of like a, a genre storytelling or fantasy or sci-fi or whatever, you're you're not only telling this story with these elements that you're in, inclined to use, but also you're, you're you're saying something about humanity and and on a, you know the the intense relationships that we can have with each other and with ourselves. And I think that comes through in this script very strongly. Oh, thank you. I, I've always thought that. Genre films are such a great way of exploring maybe more abstract concepts or just like approaching just stuff with a different perspective that can really resonate with more people than just maybe, say, a drama script. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of possibility in a lot of genre stuff. Like, you know, if it's a genre, the world is different. Mm-hmm. If the world's different, then probably anything could happen yeah. that couldn't happen in like a real life scenario. Yeah, you're writing all the rules. Right. Yeah. That's 
yeah, that's how I've always approached genre-based stuff. I've just, you can do so much with it and you can say so much in a just a different way that you build a whole world and you can explore such different themes. It's, I, I think genre scripts are fantastic. You know, in terms of the writing in this too, the way that it's written, I would say is non-standard for screenplays and that a lot of it reads kind of as a novel could. There's a lot of description. There's a lot of like description on the action and not just the action itself. And I, I really love the world and the picture that it paints, but I wanted to ask what your take was in terms of, in terms of how you actually went about writing it and the way that you chose to format it throughout the script. I would say that, yeah, it does. <laughs> it can read like a novel. It can read like a story more than a standard script. And it's because I just feel like there's so much that needs to really be put in there to like capture that world and capture those characters and the mood of it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'm always worried that I'm I'm over explaining what should probably be more simple action. But I just I think it really captures something. Mm-hmm. And I think since you talk about the fact that this is a very personal script for you, you know, whatever it is that you need to put in there to help you tell the story is completely right in that regard. And especially concerning mood, you know, I get it. Reading it, I get that mood and I fall into the script. I feel like I can start seeing colors and feeling things and touching things myself. So the way you write it really pulls a reader in, I think. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, and you also mentioned, Amy, you're a director. Is this something that you would want to direct yourself? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, it's kind of like it's stuck with me so long that I just I couldn't really imagine myself handing it over to anyone else to do it, yeah. <laughs> which I just, yeah, if I would love to direct it. Well, and all the more reason you you wrote the script the way you did. You're you speak your own language better than anybody else does. So, I mean, yeah, whatever sort of format you want to have it in, that would that it, it works best for you. That's that's kind of all that really matters at the end of the day, right? Definitely. But uh, the fact that um, you guys can visualize it so well from yeah. the writing is like quite interesting as well. Because I've always wondered if the writing would be a barrier for some people or if it would just ease people into the world I've been trying to create. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be both. It just depends on people who are speaking your language. You know, there's plenty of things that I put out there and some people get them and some people don't. And the ones that don't get them, I say, thank you next. And then I go (laughs) hang out with Jack and Frank and all my other friends on the Cinepinet Film Festival and live in my own world of creative happiness. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is also true. Um, It's the people that I have shown to it to have responded very, very well to it. So I think that's very encouraging. And maybe they're just very like-minded people, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You connect with who you connect with. You know, Amy, one of the other things about a script like this where there is no dialogue, an element that I think would play maybe a more important role because there is no dialogue is any sort of sense of music and the way the sound, whether you're talking about practical elements of, you know, walking through the grass and the sound of the stars either breaking or going out, but then also any sort of musical score. Have you, has there been any thought uh, about the kind of music that you would want in a, in a short like this? I have actually been working with a composer last, well, no, 2017. Uh, I did a proof of concept 
uh, shoot for it just to see like if it'd be possible and like visually how we could do it. And so I worked with a, a composer who's also based in Edinburgh, Scott Mungan, who's fantastic. And he's loved the script and he was like, I want to write the music for this. So he sent over like samples and it just, it really elevates what's happening and it mm. captures like the Scottishness behind it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. no bagpipes, but still like <laughs> gets that Celtic connection going on while still maintaining something so like magical. Yeah, no, give me give me those green mossy trees and gray skies and yeah, please, all of that. <laughs> yes, uh, Scottish scenery is like it is absolutely beautiful and very moody funnily enough so i think it would be perfectly fitting for this <laughs> no i love it i love the idea that you've got a composer who i think it sounds like is on the level of what you want to bring to this story i think that's uh, that's a huge element that i think uh, could is going to be a really great part of things between the music and the soundscape i think those are going to be two of the things that just really elevate it to like a different level yeah for sure what was the you, you mentioned that you had made a proof of concept video? What was that process like? Uh, it was interesting because when something's lived in your imagination for so long, sort of like seeing the reality behind it can be difficult to grapple with. But it was also fascinating to just see how much of the imaginative and the fantasy elements that we could bring into such a short sort of like teaser trailer that we shot for it and what we had filmed was a girl out in the star fields and getting attacked by the monster so that's what uh, that's the scene that we chose to go for just because it had the most visual elements Mm -hmm. Um, how long did that shoot take uh, we filmed for one day. Mm-hmm. Great. So like a very yeah. practical pull together. Let's make this happen. Let's get a look to the story. Definitely. Uh, it, over a weekend, it was like all filmed. And then we just sat on like bringing all these elements together in post. And, you know, this is a question that everybody hates being asked. But I, I'm curious for... Um, in, like, what is your process for getting funding? There's so mm. many different avenues yeah. that people can go about. And, you know, the more and more I hear from people, it's really like there are specific things that work for specific people. Sure. And so a proof of concept video, of course, you would be looking at getting more funding to make the full piece. And mm-hmm. so I'm just curious about what your ideas are about, about how you would go about getting funding. There isn't necessarily a lot of government-based funding within the UK compared to other countries. So we would be looking at that, but maybe possibly crowdfunding, mm-hmm. and seeing as we actually have a proof of concept, so we would have a bit more promotional material to put out there. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say at the moment, but we're just going for like different funding schemes that we feel that Dream Merchants fits in nicely with and there is one main funding scheme for short films in Scotland and it's the Scottish Film Talent Network. Um, I haven't submitted this in yet but maybe the next round we'd be looking to get an application in and 
fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, fingers sure. crossed indeed. Yeah. Well, if somebody was interested in getting in touch with you about working on this project or yeah. about funding it, what's the best way for them to be in touch with you? And there's a couple of different ways. Uh, there is by email, and that is info at infinitestudios.me or through Facebook, which is Infinite Studios, or even the Dream Merchants Facebook page. Perfect. That's great. Thank you. Amy, seriously, uh, thank you for sending us in your work. Thank you for letting us in on on, on the process and, and where this is all coming from. And seriously, best of luck. I, I hope that in my wildest dreams, somebody would hear this and check thing, read the script and check it out and then go to your studio and, you know, access the, the proof of concept video and want to make this thing, get this thing made. I think it's wonderful and best of luck. Thank you so much for sending us your work. No, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It has been fantastic talking to you guys. Thank you. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Amy. Okay, thanks. All right. That was Amy Villam, sir. Yeah. I love the script. Yeah, it's very sweet. I, you know, when I was asking about the music and stuff, my all-time favorite sort of silent story from childhood is The Snowman. And I was asking about that the music because the music in The Snowman plays – such a just it's such a character in the story itself you're looking at me like you haven't seen the snowman no i haven't do you not know the snowman no tell us about it oh it's about this little kid who it's winter and he makes a snowman and the snowman comes to life but it's not like a wacky uh frosty sort of thing it's just this really sweet they go they go flying together it's very it's 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 told visually almost through like chalk looking drawing really and the music is this like really sweet and tender like kind of choral uh, and 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 uh, actual instruments, uh, and it's uh, gosh, I can't strongly recommend the Snowman enough. And when I was thinking about music and the role that that plays in that little short, that's why I was curious about where she was with, with music. In well, this. and also just because this is fantasy and there's some surreal elements yeah. to it. And I like this about her too, where she's coming from like this mixed arts background. Mm-hmm. The ability to pull in mixed media yes. can really elevate things into a new into a new sphere, into a new. I was trying to make a, a reference to like a new, a new realm, a new a new yeah, dream there realm. There we go. There we go. So you know, music would add to that the same sure. way that light I think would be incredibly important yeah. in a short like this and. Getting the colors just right would be super important as well. No, I like the idea of her of, of her her school training informing mm-hmm. this other thing that she's now gone into, and the way it all the, it, it's just a big clock with different gears that all just sort of work together to churn out this thing that you want to make because you're, you're creating something. Yeah, well, and also the fact that she has to scratch the itch about what it's like to be different yeah, as sure. a young person. You know, that's a message that will always resonate because kids yeah. are always going to be, be making fun of each other. Yeah, I mean, I, it's same hard way to... I still make fun of you guys. <laughs> yeah, we know. Leave us alone, Allison. If you've got a story that's very personal to you and that you want to get out there in some way, uh, you can write it in script form and you should send it in to us. And you can do that by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. That's right. And we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On Twitter, I am your bestie, Westie. On Twitter, I am at scriptshopjack. Frank's not on Twitter, though. No, Frank's on Facebook. He's all the better for, well, I was going to say he's all the better for not being on Twitter, but. I can't back Facebook one way or the other. Yeah, yeah your mic's on, t- Frank. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> you got to point the microphone at your mouth. <laughs> yep. That's a start. I don't even know what we're talking about. Uh, we were just commenting we were talking on about Facebook and your, Twitter and your Twitter existence, your lack of Twitter existence. Yeah, maybe someday. It's all right. It's okay. Jack's not on Facebook. Right. Or Frank's not on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm on all of them. Yep. But I'm not that good on them. So. All of, but between the three of us, you got yourselves a well rounded uh, podcast. You're going to find cast. one of us online. Yep. 
not that hard either. Just Google Sendependent Film Festival and we're all over it. Well, yeah, that's an option too. That's, that's true. A, a nice little plug for the film festival coming up this August in Cincinnati. And something to keep in mind for your summer travel plans. Also, <laughs> hey, before we wrap up the show, are we I know this is in the credits, but uh, I like to throw it out there in person every once in a while. Thank you to iHeartMedia Cincinnati Thank you so much. for letting us use these facilities and, and, and produce our show from here. It's it's wonderful. Uh, Scott Reinhardt and everybody at iHeartMedia Cincinnati, very uh, generous with the use of the equipment here and uh, we really appreciate it. We really do. So thank you, iHeartMedia. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Jack. And until next time, listeners, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.